Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hello, Light Church. My name is Brian, and if we haven't met before, it is a great privilege to be with you this Sunday in San Diego. My wife, Caitlin, and my two boys, Judah, who is seven, and Caleb, who is four, are back home in South Africa, and they are praying for us, and they are excited to come along with me at the end of the year and join you in planting a church in downtown San Diego. Uh, We could not be more excited to come across and partner with you in what God is doing in this beautiful city. And amidst all of the goodbyes to our family and our friends and the tears that are involved and all of the details that it takes to hand over a church that we planted five years ago in Durban, we have seen the goodness of God and tasted of His kindness and mercy and just the big plans that He has not only for our lives as a family, but what He's doing in San Diego in and through Light Church. And so... We are so excited and expectant for what God is going to do in not only San Diego at large, but in the rest of California and our nation as we seek out God and trust in His Spirit to come and move amongst us as we advance His kingdom together here in San Diego. And so we're excited to join you. We're excited to move across and be here in sunny California. But you may wonder why. Why are you moving your family from South Africa on the East Coast in Durban, 16,000 kilometers or 10,000 miles across the world to come and be a part of what we're doing here at Light Church. I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you why. We have experienced, like never before in our lives, absolute clarity in what we believe God is calling us to do as a family. It's quite simple. We're doing this because we believe God has told us to do this. We have had a supernatural, deep deposit of love for not only you who are part of Light Church, but also everybody that's going to join Light Church in the months and years ahead, those who will join here in Encinitas and those who will join us downtown as we plant and build out the church there, but also a deep love and a deposit of faith for what God's going to be doing in San Diego at large. And so we're so excited to do this. We cannot wait to get here. God has gone before us as a family. We have seen miracle after miracle in not only confirming what we believe God's saying to us, but also in the small and the big details of what it will take for us to move across to San Diego. Our visas, which we were told, best case scenario, are going to take nine months to get approved, took four days. Our visa was approved in four days. We were thinking that if God did a miracle, we could be here by Easter, 2023. As it turns out, we will be moving across straight after Christmas in 2022. God has been so kind in taking care of all of the details for our family. And the biggest thing that we have learned as a family as we've processed this decision to come across and be with you here in San Diego is that our lives are not our own. That God has really big, amazing plans for our lives that He's working out in His time. 
and these plans are bigger and better than anything we could manufacture in our own strength. And what we've learned is to be able to trust our lives in God's hands. What we've been able to process and learn in this season is that actually we're called to hold our lives lightly because God holds our lives tightly and our lives are safe in his hands. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he says this in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. What we see is that our stories, our lives, they're not our own. In fact, what we're participating in is not our story. This is not a story that the Barneses are moving across from South Africa to San Diego as we process our own lives. This is actually his story. And we get to play our very small part in what God is doing in expanding his kingdom all across the world. And so we get invited into his story, and then we just get a choice. Will we say yes, or will we say no? And so we, the Barnes family, Brian, Caitlin, Judah, and Caleb, we are saying yes. We are saying yes to planting a church in downtown San Diego and playing our part, the part that we believe has been assigned by the Lord for our family. And we are going to participate in what Jesus is doing as Jesus builds his church. And so we truly believe that God is up to something beautiful and wild in this beautiful city in San Diego. And, and we're just saying, we're here for it. We, we're saying, God, let us in. We, we're here for what you want to do through the power of your spirit in preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of San Diego and beyond. And we think, we believe that God is going to do something miraculous in this city, and we just want to be a part of it. And so I don't have to tell you that if you look at church history, if you look at revival history, there have been so many moves of God that have been birthed out of Southern California. There have been so many stories and movements that have been birthed out of this beautiful state. And our prayer as we process this move and we start to pack our bags and, and head on across to San Diego is just, Lord, can you do it again? And can we be a part of it? In Habakkuk 3, there is this prayer that the prophet prays, and it's been our prayer over these last few months. It's just, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And so we love the local church. The Barneses, the four of us, we are sold out for the local church. We have resolved as a family deep in our hearts that we're going to give the rest of our lives to loving Jesus and loving and serving in his local church as he builds and as he brings the growth. So we're all about the local church, which is a good thing because, you know, we're pastors, so I suppose that's helpful. Now, I, I want to tell you this morning that I love the local church. I really like doing life together with resilient disciples as we pursue mission and the way of Jesus together. I really like having an awesome kids program. 
as a dad of two very, let's call them active and fun boys, I like to arrive on a Sunday and send them off to the kids' ministry team who do worship and games and fun and train them up as disciples of Jesus. I really like having good coffee after a church service. I like hanging out with fellow believers and worshiping together and being part of a local community. I like church buildings. I like design and art and creativity. I love architecture and furniture design. I like church picnics. I like church camps and events. I like small groups. I like church training programs and discipleship training programs. I like all of these things. I'm all about all of the church stuff. But most of all, I love Jesus. And I love local churches that are all about Jesus. On the 16th of January in 2017, my pastor and mentor came to preach what was the first service at our church that we planted in Durban, South Africa, which is called West Point Church. And in the first Sunday service, the first message that was preached over our church, he preached a message titled, A Jesus Church. And the whole exhortation of his message to us as a people, as we set out to plant this church in our community, was that we would be a church that is all about Jesus. We could have amazing worship, we could have great coffee or a good kids ministry program, but all of it had to exist and point to the person of Jesus Christ and be all about him. We were going to be a Jesus church. And he said something in his message that has haunted me ever since I heard it. It was a phrase that I think he was quoting someone else, but I just can't remember who it was. But he said this, and it's remained in the front of my mind ever since, a reminder of the type of church that I want to be a part of. Because he warned us, he, he said, you can walk into many churches today and you will see a very big person, a very big people, or a very big pastor or a personality but what you'll also see is a very small Jesus. And that is just so sad. That is just something that not only that we find to be true in many churches, but something that I believe would grieve the heart of God. And I want to stand up here today as I share before you, Light Church, and say that my experience of being with you in Encinitas and as we move forward to plant a church downtown has been one that this church is all about Jesus. And that brings me so much joy and so much excitement because I believe if we remain and continue to build out a church that is all about Jesus, this will be a church with whom God's Spirit is going to be happy to dwell amongst, to fall upon, to bless. A church that will make Jesus and our Heavenly Father smile. And so I want to say let's continue to be here in Encinitas and as we plant in downtown, let's be a Jesus church. I pray that when the people of San Diego and beyond look at us as a people, that what they will see is very small people and a very big Jesus. And so today I want to bring our attention to Pastor Paul and his letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus. As we consider this idea of possibly how can we be, how can we continue to be and build out a Jesus church. Now, Pastor Paul, he writes a letter to a church that he planted in what is today modern-day Turkey. It's a church in Ephesus, and he writes this letter to these people who he pastored for many years, and then trains and equipped leaders, and then he gets 
sent out to go and plant more churches. And on his journey of planting more churches, he remembers the people that he loves in Ephesus, and he writes them a letter, six chapters that can be found in our New Testament. And what I think is so beautiful is that this letter really does convey the pastoral heart of Paul as he writes this letter. He, he divides the six chapters into two. The first three chapters, the main idea being that me and you, that the people in Ephesus, their identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. And so he tells them about their position as disciples. And then the next three chapters, he goes on to tell them how they must now live in light of who they are in Christ. So he starts off by telling them, and I think the order of how he communicates his heart is so important. He tells them first and foremost that they are in Christ, that their identity is rooted in who Jesus Christ is. And then he goes on to tell them how they should practice out their faith, what they should do in light of their identity. First their position, then their practice. So what I want to do is I want to read the entire chapter one of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and then pull out some important points from there. So if you've got your Bibles, you can take them out or it will come up on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. He starts off, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with, whom all, with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he poured out in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In Him, you have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will, so that we, who had already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to His glory. In Him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the mighty workings of His strength. 
He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Isn't this just an incredibly beautiful passage that we read where Paul is reminding his fellow believers, the people that he pastored for a number of years, to say to them, hey guys, let's not forget that this is all about Jesus. As we read chapter 1 alone, and we consider the book of Ephesians in this letter that Paul writes, it mentions union with Christ and us, me and you as disciples of Jesus, being in Christ more than any other letter. In fact, if you go through Ephesians, we are told we are in Christ no less than 36 times. And this phrase occurs uh, more, 164 times in Paul's other writings in the New Testament. And as Paul writes this, as Pastor Paul encourages the believers in the different churches, what we get to is the heart of Christianity, which is that you and I, we are united with Jesus Christ, that our identity is rooted in who He is, not in what we do. You see, Christians, disciples of Jesus, those of us who practice and follow the way of Jesus, we are people who are in Christ. And only by us being in Christ can we have access to what Paul calls every spiritual blessing. So consider this with me. If we are in Christ, then Christ's riches are our riches. His righteousness is our righteousness. His resources are our resources. His power is our power, and His position is our position. Where He is, we are. What He has, we have. And so as Jesus stands before the Father right now in this very moment, and He looks upon His Son, and He says to His Son, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Our position is that we stand before the Father and he looks at you and I, and he says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has won over for us. And so our identity is rooted in him. And because we are in Christ, even when opposition surrounds us, even when we mess up and we sin, or when things feel crazy around us and we feel as if maybe we're not good enough for God, what we need to remember is that our identity is secure before the Father because we are in Him. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our performance. It's not in our popularity or our productivity or in our prominence, but rather we find ourselves in Him. You know, this is something that I can sometimes battle with. I love uh, achieving. I love being super productive. I love organizing things, and I come alive when there is a lot to do. But what I often find is that on days of rest, that I can get to the end of the day actually feeling quite anxious. And when I get down to the root of why I feel anxious, what actually oftentimes comes out of my mouth is that I did not achieve something today. I'll say to Caitlin after I have a day off that, ah, oh, today feels like a waste because I didn't achieve something. And that is rooted in an insecurity that in order for me to find fulfillment, 
that I need to be proving myself, not only to others, but actually myself. But when we find ourselves and we have a revelation that we are in Christ, we have freedom to rest in who we are in Him, not in what we do for Him. As Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, he, he talks about these formerly and then now statements, these phrases that come up that say, basically, we were one way, but now because we are in Christ, we are now another thing. So let's look at these formerly and not now, uh, but now phrases that Paul gives us in Ephesians. Just a few. He says that we were dead in our sin, but now we are alive with the Messiah. We were separated from Christ, but now we are in Christ Jesus because we have been brought near. He says to us that we were foreigners, but now we are fellow citizens. He says we were darkened in understanding, but now we have been taught or learned about the Messiah. We have put off the old self and put on the new self. He says we were in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And Paul describes for us that these formerly but now things are in light of the transforming power of the gospel that works in our hearts and our souls. And he goes on to tell us about this new life that we can enjoy because of the power of the gospel at work in us. He says that we have been chosen and adopted by the Father. He says that we have been redeemed by the Son, that we have been sealed with the Spirit. He says that we have been given resurrection power and that we've been given eyes to see the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He says that we have been brought from death to life by grace through faith in Jesus. We have been raised and seated with him in the heavens. He says that, uh, you know, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. And only once he's told us all of these things does he then go on to tell us that we were created for good works. Do you see how it is our position and then our practice? We find here that, friends, Christianity is not about becoming religious. Being a Christian is not about conforming to a list of rules of do's and don'ts. We, we, it's not about us adopting a new philosophy or finding financial prosperity. It's not about us becoming a nice person. It's about us becoming a new person. It's about us going from death to life. It's about going from darkness to light. See, Paul's mission as he goes out to preach the way of Jesus is not to call people to religion or to call people to tasks and things that we should do and achieve for Jesus, but rather to call people to a person, to call us to Jesus himself. Paul's invitation to us, Jesus' invitation to us, is that we would be Jesus' people, that we would be in Christ, that we would, the defining thing about you and I would be Jesus. And then when we come together as the ecclesia, as we come together as the gathered body of Christ, as we come together in San Diego as Light Church, the commission is that a group of Jesus people come together and become a Jesus church. So Paul writes this, he says, we now have a new community in Christ. So in chapter one, he tells us we're in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he tells us we're part of a new community in him. Because when God saves us, friends, he, he doesn't save us to be on our own. He saves us, and then he brings us into a new community called the local church. 
Paul tells us we are fellow citizens with saints and members of God's household. Pastor and author John Stott, he articulates this beautifully when he says this. He says, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose is not to save individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build up his church, that is to call people out of the world, a people for his own glory. You see, isn't that awesome? We are called as individuals to be part of a new community, a microcosm of God's kingdom displayed here on earth so that we can magnify and display the glory of God. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a Manchester United supporter. I love sports, and my chosen sports team would be Manchester United. And there's something beautiful about supporting a sports team because you feel as if you're part of a, a community of people that have a shared mission, and in this case, the mission would be for the victory of Manchester United Soccer Club. But here's the thing. That is so temporary. That is so earthly. Me and you, as disciples of Jesus, we get to belong to a community that displays the very glory of God for an eternal purpose. We get to be part of a local church. Steve Timmis, he says this, he says, it is not that I belong to God and then I make a decision to join a local church. My being in Christ means being in Christ with others who are also in Christ. This is my identity. This is our identity. And so the question that maybe that raises is, well, how do we as Jesus people come together and prioritize that our gathering and our existence as resilient disciples is centered on Jesus Christ? How do we do church in a way that we build a Jesus church? How do we continue here in Encinitas and how do we birth something downtown that is all about Jesus? A pastor friend of mine, John Tyson in New York City, he once said to me, and, and I found this fascinating, he said, it's not enough to see Jesus as plausible. You know, it's not enough for us to have head knowledge about Jesus. It's not enough for my own faith. It's not enough for us to present Jesus to the world as merely plausible. He went on to say, we need to experience and present Jesus as beautiful. We need to present and experience Jesus as beautiful. I believe if we're going to build a Jesus church, if we want the defining thing about us to be Jesus Christ himself, we need our imaginations to be captivated with the beauty of Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer goes on to say, if, bibli if biblical Christianity is to survive the present world upheaval, we shall need to have a fresh revelation of the greatness and beauty of Jesus. He alone can raise our cold hearts and rapture and restore again the art of true worship. Friends, we need to see Jesus as beautiful. And so I just ask you this morning, is Jesus beautiful to you? Because I want to tell you, that Jesus is so incredibly beautiful. And he's beautiful simply because of who he is. 
You know, I used to think that Jesus' beauty was only the visual aspects of like light and glory that we read about in passages like Revelations 4 and Revelations 5. And while these are certainly aspects of Jesus' beauty, the truth of the matter is, is that it's actually so much deeper than that. You see, Jesus is beautiful simply because of who he is. Every single aspect of Jesus' character and person is gloriously beautiful. His love, his joy, his playfulness, his fierceness, his humility and honesty, his cleverness, his commitment to justice and mercy and loving upon all of us, his dedication to the will of the Father, his wisdom, his knowledge, his faithfulness, and a thousand other character traits are what make Jesus just simply stunning. My favorite quote about the beauty of Jesus is from a book that is titled Beautiful Outlaw, and it's written by John Eldridge. And John Eldridge goes on to write this, and I think it's, it's a beautiful passage. He says, we all know brilliant minds who could do with a touch of humility. Humble folk who ought to stand up for themselves or driven types who need to lighten up. Jokesters who should grow up and gracious souls who really ought to get good and mad every once in a while. But imagine if you found it all in one person. Superb before a jury, terrific taste in movies, ready at the drop of a hat for a riot of a vacation, and also able to handle your deepest, darkest secrets. Wouldn't you want that person to be your friend? He is the playfulness of creation, scandal and utter goodness, the generosity of the oceans and the ferocity of a thunderstorm. He is cunning as a snake and gentle as a whisper. The gladness of sunshine and the humility of a 30-mile walk by foot on a dirt road. Reclining at a meal, laughing with friends, and then going to the cross. This is what we mean when we say that Jesus is beautiful. When I read this, I just present to you and to me, isn't this the type of person that you would want to know? Isn't this the type of person you'd want in your life? Honestly, this is someone that I would never get tired of spending time with. This is someone I would never get bored of discovering more about. He is fun and fascinating and brilliant. He is infinitely gentle and wise, and he also knows how to kick my butt every once in a while when I need it. And you know what? You want to know the best part about it? Is that this person, Jesus Christ, he wants to know me. He, he deeply, achingly desires to have relationship with me. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus, the beauty of all creation, the apple of the Father's eye, He deepingly, achingly wants to know you. He wants you to experience the beauty of who He is. He, he wants you to have deep, intimate relationship with Him. The invitation is open to all of us. Friends, knowing who He is, having an understanding and a revelation of Jesus Christ, knowing how perfect and how amazing his love is, and that, in fact, that love is poured out in my direction, how could I not fall deeply in love with him in return? There truly is no one like Jesus. 
He really is, as the scriptures tell us, fairer than the sons of men and chief among 10,000. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our trust. And he is worthy of all of our lives lived out completely and utterly for his glory. Because the extravagant nature of his beauty and his character actually deserved such an extravagant response from you and I. And so today, we gather and we worship Jesus. Today, we come together and we plant churches that are all about Jesus. Today, we come together and we make sure that our existing as a group of people is all about Jesus because we are a Jesus church. And we don't do this because we want something. We don't do this because we want to, you know, get something from Him. We live this way and we build this way simply because of who He is. And He is beautiful. And so my encouragement to us today is to lean into the invitation of Jesus to follow Him, to come near to Him, to experience Him. And if we're going to continue to build out a Jesus church that displays the glory of God to San Diego and to California and to America and out to the ends of the earth, if we're going to be a church that is all about Jesus, I believe that it starts with you and I shifting our imaginations and being captivated by the beauty and wonder of Christ. And how do we do this? We step into His presence and we just invite Him to saturate our being, our mind, our souls, and our imaginations with the love of the Father that is shed abroad my heart through the person of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit moves. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.